0: Welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories. I'm your friend Joey, here with another episode to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. It's 10pm here, I hope you're all being kind to yourselves and having good mental health here in 2022. As always, I'm here next to this beautiful crackling fireplace with a good news story and a wonderful fairy tale to comfort you and help you fall asleep. If you're new here to the Knox family, welcome. I hope I'm able to bring you calm and comfort at bedtime for a long time to come. From here on out, nothing exists except you, me, this beautiful fireplace, and the bed, couch, or floor you're laying on. We have some new Patreon supporters I would like to thank for supporting the podcast. A big thank you to Laura Wagner and Sherry Smith, and a big thank you to the Patreon patrons that stuck with me through the last couple of months of mental health struggles and COVID. I'm truly grateful for having you all in my life. Hopefully, this breakout from depression lasts. I have a ton of stories i found that I'm looking forward to recording for you all. Episodes will be coming out regularly once again. If you would like to become a Patreon patron... You can support the podcast and its goal of a calming night's sleep for everyone for as little as $2 a month. You'll also get perks such as extra episodes and your name posted on NoxBedtimeStories.com. And you'll be supporting a show that helps people and gives them a peaceful place to turn to at bedtime. You can sign up by going to knoxbedtimestories.com and clicking on the Join Patreon button or Patreon.com forward/nox bedtime stories All right, let's get to tonight's good news story titled English island seeks landlord king in search of solitude, seals and beer, followed by tonight's story called the story of Mary Mine. Tender set to be launched for one of the most unique opportunities in UK hospitality reads the borough of Barrow at Furnace website which is looking for a new landlord to manage a pub on Peel Island as well as to claim an ancient beer-soaked royal throne carved from oak. The claimant should also be ready to be soaked himself, according to a bizarre tradition, and take up the title of king, to oversee every degree of comings and goings on the small island on the northwest coast of England. Tradition holds that each new landlord is crowned King of Peel in a ceremony of uncertain origin, the Barrow Council described in a statement. Tony Callister, another member of the council, said in an interview that the custom would continue. The person coming in gets the title of King of Peel, which is nice to have, and there's no reason for that to change. The job requires all 50 acres of island grounds to be tended to, for the ship-in pub and kitchens to be managed, and for all guests to be made welcome. Furthermore, potential kings should be prepared for loneliness, as there is only one other permanent resident, and the winter months see few visitors, but many storms. There are, however, many seals on the island, as well as a derelict 14th-century castle, that a Scottish man at the head of a mercenary army once used as a base from which to launch a failed usurpation of the English throne. The castle was originally made by monks, perhaps as a defense or to store smuggled goods. It's the failed bid for the throne which historians believe spawned the tradition of proclaiming the ship-in landlord King of Peel. Murky waters... The Ship Inn maintains a website, as well as the following description of the history of the inn, which is murky and uncertain. The origins of the Ship Inn are obscure, although it is said to be over 300 years old. In 1746, a lease for agricultural land situated within the Castle Ditch was granted to an Edward Postlewaite, who was described as an innkeeper from the Pile of Fowdry. A description from 1813 paints a vivid picture of the life of the innkeeper at that time. There is a public house on the island, the only habitation, tenanted by an old Scotchman who has been lord of this domain for many years and goes through the duties of guide and expositor among the ruins of the castle with admirable fluency. The custom of seamen from the roadstead and the donation of occasional visitors in the summertime support him in a state of which he has no right. He thinks to complain, but he acknowledged that when there were no vessels in the roadstead, he found his situation rather too lonesome and apt to drive him to his beer barrel for company. A number of changes and improvements are due to take place on the island from 2022 onwards including replacing the existing toilet block and considering alternative energy generation as part of the low-carbon Barrow project, the job application details. There's something incredibly special about Peel Island. It's certainly a location that is held close to the hearts of so many people across Barrow and the wider area, former King Thompson said. Barrow hopes to have a new king by the start of April 2022, but to accept so mighty a position requires a 10-year lease. So there you go. If you want to be a beer-soaked king, you might want to try out for that job. Actually sounds pretty nice. Okay, now let's get into bed. Say to yourself, my bedroom is a place of peace and relaxation. When I enter this room and crawl into bed at night, Today's thoughts naturally begin to soften. My burden lightens, and sleep is coming. Let's get to tonight's story, the story of Merry Mind, set the sleep-inducing music in this beautiful fireplace. If you're not already laying down, please do so in whatever way is comfortable. And let's begin. Once upon a time there lived in the North Country, a certain poor man and his wife with two cornfields, three cows, five sheep, and thirteen children. Twelve of these children were called by names common in the north country, hard head, stiff neck, tight fingers, and the like. But when the thirteenth came to be named, either the poor man and his wife could remember no other name, or something in the child's look made them think it proper, for they called him Merrymind. Which the neighbors thought a strange name, and very much above their station. However, as they showed no other signs of pride, the neighbors let that pass. Their thirteen children grew taller and stronger every year, and they had hard work to keep them in bread. But when the youngest was old enough to look after his father's sheep, there happened the great fair to use which everybody in the north country went, because it came only once in seven years. It was held on a midsummer's day, not in any town or village, but on a green plain lying between a broad river and a high hill, where it was said the fairies used to dance in old and merry times. Merchants and dealers of all sorts crowded to that fair from far and near, There was nothing known in the north country that could not be bought or sold in it, and neither old nor young were willing to go home without a faring. The man who owned this large family could afford them little to spend in such ways, but as the fair happened only once in seven years, he would not show a poor spirit. Therefore, calling them about him, he opened the leathern bag in which his savings were stored and gave every one of the thirteen a silver penny. The boys and girls had never before owned so much pocket money, and wondering what they should buy, they dressed themselves in their holiday clothes, and set out with their father and mother to the fair. When they came near the ground that midsummer morning, the stalls, heaped up with all manner of merchandise, From gingerbread upwards, the tents for fun and feasting, the puppet shows, the rope dancers, and the crowd of neighbors and strangers, all in their best attire, made those simple people think their North Country Fair the finest sight in the world. The day wore away in seeing wonders and in chatting with old friends. It was surprising how far silver pennies went in those days. But before evening, twelve of the thirteen had got fairly rid of their money. One bought a pair of brass buckles, another a crimson ribband, a third green garters, the father bought a tobacco pipe, the mother a horn snuffbox. In short, all had provided themselves with fairings except Merrymind. The cause of the silver penny remaining in his pocket was that he had set his heart upon a fiddle, and fiddles enough there were in the fair, small and large, plain and painted. He looked at and priced most of them, but there was not one that came within the compass of a silver penny. His father and mother warned him to make haste with his purchase, for they must all go home at sunset, because the way was long. The sun was getting low and red upon the hill, The fair was growing thin, for many dealers had packed up their stalls and departed. But there was a mossy hollow in the great hillside, to which the outskirts of the fair had reached, and Merrimine thought he would see what might be there. The first thing was a stall of fiddles, kept by a young merchant from a far country, who had many new customers, his goods being fine and new. But hard by sat a little grey-haired man At whom everybody had laughed that day Because he had nothing on his stall But one old dingy fiddle And all its strings were broken Nevertheless, the little man sat as stately And cried, fiddles to sell As if he had the best stall in the fair Buy a fiddle, my young master, he said As Merrymind came forward You shall have it cheap I asked but a silver penny for it, and if the strings were mended, its like would not be in the north country. Merrymine thought this a great bargain. He was a handy boy, and could mend the strings while watching his father's sheep. So down went the silver penny on the little man's stall, and up went the fiddle under Merrymine's arm. Now, my young master, said the little man, you see... "'that we merchants have a deal to look after, "'and if you help me to bundle up my stall, "'I will tell you a wonderful piece of news about that fiddle.' Merry Mind was good-natured and fond of news, "'so he helped him to tie up the loose boards and sticks "'that composed his stall with an old rope, "'and when they were hoisted on his back, "'the little man said, "'About that fiddle, my young master,' It is certain the strings can never be mended, nor made new, except by threads from the night spinners, which, if you get it, will be a good penny worth, and up the hill he ran like a greyhound. mind thought that was queer news, but being given to hope the best, he believed the little man was only jesting, and made haste to join the rest of the family, who were soon on their way home. When they got there, everyone showed his bargain, and merry showed his fiddle, but his brothers and sisters laughed at him for buying such a thing when he had never learned to play. His sisters asked him what music he could bring out of broken strings, and his father said, Thou hast shown little prudence in laying out thy first penny, from which token I fear thou wilt never have many to lay out. In short, Everybody threw scorn on Mind's bargain, except his mother. She, good woman, said if he laid out one penny ill, he might lay out the next better, and who knew but his fiddle would be of use someday. To make her words good, Mind fell to repairing the strings. He spent all his time, both night and day, upon them. But true to the little man's parting words... No mending would stand, and no string would hold on that fiddle. Merrymine tried everything, and wearied himself to no purpose. At last, he thought of inquiring after people who spun at night, and this seemed such a good joke to the North Country people, that they wanted no other till the next fair. In the meantime, Merrymine lost credit at home and abroad, Everybody believed in his father's prophecy. His brothers and sisters valued him no more than a herd boy. The neighbors thought he must turn out a scapegrace. Still, the boy would not part with his fiddle. It was his silver pennyworth, and he had a strong hope of mending the strings, for all that had come and gone. But since nobody at home cared for him except his mother and as she had 12 other children, he resolved to leave the scorn behind him and go to seek his fortune. The family were not very sorry to hear that intention, being in a manner ashamed of him. Besides, they could spare one out of 13. His father gave him a barley cake, and his mother her blessing. All his brothers and sisters wished him well. Most of the neighbors hoped that no harm would happen to him, and Merry Mind set out one summer morning with the broken-stringed fiddle under his arm. There were no highways then in the north country. People took whatever path pleased them best, so Merry Mind went over the fairground and up the hill, hoping to meet the little man and learn something of the night spinners. The hill was covered with heather to the top, and he went up without meeting anyone. On the other side, it was steep and rocky, and after a hard scramble down, he came to a narrow glen all overgrown with wild firs and brambles. Merrymind had never met with briar so sharp, but he was not the boy to turn back readily, and pressed on in spite of torn clothes and scratched hands, till he came to the end of the glen where two paths met, one of them wound through a pine wood, he knew not how far, but it seemed green and pleasant. The other was a rough, stony way, leading to a wide valley surrounded by high hills, and overhung by a dull, thick mist, though it was yet early in the summer evening. Merry Mind was weary with his long journey, and stood thinking of what path to choose, when, by the way of the valley, there came an old man as tall and large as any three men of the north country. His white hair and beard hung like tangled flax about him. His white hair and beard hung like tangled flax about him. His clothes were made of sackcloth, and on his back he carried a heavy burden of dust heaped high in a great pannier. "'Listen to me, you lazy vagabond,' he said, coming near to Merry-Mind. "'If you take the way through the wood, I know not what will happen to you. "'But if you choose this path, you must help me with my pannier, "'and I can tell you it's no trifle.' "'Well, father,' said Merry-Mind, "'you seem tired, and I am younger than you, though not quite so tall.' "'So, if you please, I will choose this way "'and help you along with the pannier.'" Scarce had he spoken when the huge man caught a hold of him, firmly bound one side of the pannier to his shoulders with the same strong rope that fastened it on his own back and never ceased scolding and calling him names as they marched over the stony ground together. It was a rough way and a heavy burden, and Mind wished himself a thousand times out of the old man's company. But there was no getting off, and at length, in hopes of beguiling the way, and putting him in a better humor, he began to sing an old rhyme which his mother had taught him. By this time, they had entered the valley, and the night had fallen very dark and cold. The old man ceased scolding, and by a feeble glimmer of the moonlight, which now began to shine, Marymind saw that they were close by a deserted cottage, for its door stood open to the night winds. Here the old man paused, and loosed the rope from his own and Merrimine's shoulders. "'For seven times seven years,' he said, "'have I carried this pannier, and no one ever sang while helping me before.' "'Night releases all men, so I release you. "'Where will you sleep? "'By my kitchen fire, or in that cold cottage?' Mind thought he had got quite enough "'of the old man's society, and therefore answered, "'The cottage, good father, if you please.' "'A sound sleep to you then,' said the old man, "'and he went off with his pannier. Mind stepped into the deserted cottage.' The moon was shining through a door and window, for the mist was gone and the night looked clear as day, but in all the valley he could hear no sound, nor was there any trace of inhabitants in the cottage. The hearth looked as if there had not been a fire there for years. A single article of furniture was not to be seen, but Mary Mind was sore, weary, and laying himself down in a corner. With his fiddle close by, he fell fast asleep. The floor was hard and his clothes were thin. But all through his sleep, there came a sweet sound of singing voices and spinning wheels, and Merry Mind thought he must have been dreaming when he opened his eyes next morning on the bare and solitary house. The beautiful night was gone and the heavy mist had come back. There was no blue sky no bright sun to be seen. The light was cold and gray, like that of midwinter, but Merrymind ate the half of his barley cake, drank from a stream hard by, and went out to see the valley. It was full of inhabitants, and they were all busy in houses, in fields, in mills, and in forges. The men hammered and delved, the women scrubbed and scoured, The very children were hard at work, but Merry-Mind could hear neither talk nor laughter among them. Every face looked careworn and cheerless, and every word was something about work or gain. Merry-Mind thought this unreasonable, for everybody there appeared rich. The women scrubbed in silk, the men delved in scarlet. Crimson curtains, marble floors, and shelves of silver tankards were to be seen in every house, but their owners took neither ease nor pleasure in them, and everyone labored as if it were for life. The birds of that valley did not sing, they were too busy pecking and building. The cats did not lie by the fire, they were all on the watch for mice. The dogs went out after hares on their own account. The cattle and sheep grazed as if they were never to get another mouthful, and the herdsmen were all splitting wood or making baskets. In the midst of the valley there stood a stately castle, but instead of park and gardens, brew houses and washing greens lay round it. The gates stood open, and Merry ventured in. The courtyard was full of coopers. They were churning in the banquet hall, "'They were making cheese on the dyes "'and spinning and weaving in all its principal chambers. "'In the highest tower of that busy castle, "'at a window from which she could see the whole valley, "'there sat a noble lady. "'Her dress was rich, but of a dingy drab color. "'Her hair was iron gray. "'Her look was sour and gloomy. "'Round her sat twelve maidens of the same aspect.' spinning on ancient distaffs, and the ladies spun as hard as they, but all the yarn they made was jet black. No one in or out of the castle would reply to Mary Mine's salutations, nor answer him or any questions. The rich men pulled out their purses, saying, come and work for wages. The poor men said, we have no time to talk and a child by a cottage door said it must go to work. All day Merry Mine wandered about with his broken-stringed fiddle, and all day he saw the great old man marching round and round the valley with his heavy burden of dust. It is the dreariest valley that I have ever beheld, he said to himself, and no place to mend my fiddle in but one would not like to go away without knowing what has come over the people or if they have always worked so hard and heavily. By this time, the night again came on. He knew it by the clearing mist and the rising moon. The people began to hurry home in all directions. Silence came over house and field and near the deserted cottage, Merry Mine met the old man. Good father, he said, "'I pray you tell me what sport or pastime have the people of this valley?' "'Sport and pastime,' cried the old man in great wrath. "'Where did you hear of the like? "'We work by day and sleep by night.' "'There was no sport in Dame Dreary's land, "'and with a hearty scolding for his idleness and levity, "'he left Merry to sleep once more in the cottage. "'That night the boy did not sleep so sound.' Though too drowsy to open his eyes, he was sure there had been singing and spinning near him all night, and resolving to find out what this meant before he left the valley, Merrymind ate the other half of his barley cake, drank again from the stream, and went out to see the country. The same heavy mist shut out sun and sky. The same hard work went forward wherever he turned his eyes, and the great old man with the dust pannier strode on his accustomed round. merry could find no one to answer a single question. Rich and poor wanted him to work still more earnestly than the day before, and fearing that some of them might press him into service, he wandered away to the furthest end of the valley. There, there was no work, for the land lay bare and lonely, and was bounded by great crags, as high and steep as any castle wall. There was no passage or outlet, but through a great iron gate, secured with a heavy padlock, close by it stood a white tent, and in the door, a tall soldier with one arm, stood smoking a long pipe. He was the first idle man Merry Mind had seen in the valley, and his face looked to him like that of a friend So coming up with his best bow The boy said Honorable master soldier please to tell me what country is this And why do the people work so hard Are you a stranger in this place That you ask such questions Answered the soldier Yes said merry mind I came but the evening before yesterday Then I am sorry for you "'for here you must remain. "'My orders are to let everybody in and nobody out, "'and the giant with the dust-paneer guards "'the other entrance night and day,' said the soldier. "'That is bad news,' said Mary mine "'but since I am here, "'please to tell me why were such laws made "'and what is the story of this valley?' "'Hold my pipe and I will tell you,' said the soldier.' Nobody else will take the time. This valley belongs to the lady of yonder castle, whom for seven times seven years men have called Dame Dreary. She had another name in her youth, they called her Lady Little Care, and then the valley was the fairest spot in all the north country. The sun shone brightest there, the summers lingered longest, fairies danced on the hilltops. Singing birds sat on all the trees. Strongarm, the last of the giants, kept the pine forest and hewed yule logs out of it when he was not sleeping in the sun. Two fair maidens, clothed in white, with silver wheels on their shoulders, came by night and spun golden threads by the hearth of every cottage. The people wore homespun and drank out of horn, but they had merry times. There were May games, harvest homes, and Christmas cheer among them. Shepherds piped on the hillsides, reapers sang in the fields, and laughter came with the red firelight out of every house in the evening. All that was changed, nobody knows how, for the old folks who remembered it are dead. Some say it was because of a magic ring which fell from the lady's finger, Some because of a spring in the castle court which went dry. However, it was the lady turned dame dreary. Hard work and hard times overspread the valley. The mist came down, the fairies departed, the giant strong arm grew old. The mist came down, the fairies departed, the giant strong arm grew old, and took up a burden of dust and the night-spinners were seen no more in any man's dwelling. They say it will be so till Dame Dreary lays down her distaff and dances, while all the fiddlers of the north country have tried their merriest tunes to no purpose. The king is a wise prince and a great warrior. He has filled two treasure houses and conquered all his enemies, but he cannot change the order of Dame Dreary's land. I cannot tell you what great rewards he offered to one who could do it, but when no good came of his offers, the king feared that similar fashions might spread among his people, and therefore made a law that whomsoever entered should not leave it. His majesty took me captive in war, and placed me here to keep the gate and save his subjects trouble. If I had not brought my pipe with me, I should have been working as hard as any of them by this time, with my one arm. Young master, if you take my advice, you will learn to smoke. If my fiddle were mended, it would be better, said Merry Mind. And he sat talking with the soldier, till the mist began to clear and the moon to rise. And then he went home to sleep in the deserted cottage. It was late when he came near it and the moonlight looked lovely beside the misty day. Mind thought it was a good time for trying to get out of the valley. There was no foot abroad, and no appearance of the giant, but as Mind drew near to where the two paths met, there was he fast asleep, beside a fire of pine cones, with his pannier at his head, and a heap of stones close by him. "'Is that your kitchen fire?' thought the boy to himself and he tried to steal past but strong Arm started up pursued him with stones and called him bad names halfway back to the cottage. Merry Mind was glad to run the whole way for fear of him. The door was still open and the moon was shining in but by the lifeless hearth there sat two fair maidens all in white spinning on silver wheels and singing together a blithe and pleasant tune, like the larks on May morning. Merry mind could have listened all night, but suddenly he bethought him that these must be the night-spinners whose threads would mend his fiddle. So stepping with reverence and good courage, he said, "'Honorable ladies, I pray you give a poor boy thread to mend his fiddle-strings.' For seven times, seven years, said the fair maidens, have we spun by night in this deserted cottage, and no mortal has seen or spoken to us. Go and gather sticks through all the valley, to make a fire for us on this cold hearth, and each of us will give you a thread for your pains. Merry-mine took his broken fiddle with him, and went through all the valley gathering sticks by the moonlight. But so careful were the people of Dame Drury's land that scarce a stick could be found, and the moon was gone, and the misty day had come before he was able to come back with a small stick. The cottage door was still open, the fair maidens and their silver wheels were gone, but on the floor where they sat lay two long threads of gold. Merrymind first heaped up his sticks on the hearth, to be ready against their coming at night, and next took up the golden threads to mend his fiddle. Then, he learned the truth of the little man's saying at the fair, for no sooner were the strings fastened with those golden threads than they became firm. The old dingy fiddle, too, began to shine and glisten, and at length it was golden also. The sight made Mind so joyful that, unlearned as he was in music, the boy tried to play. Scarce had his bow touched the strings, when they began to play of themselves, the same blithe and pleasant tune which the night spinner sang together. Some of the workers will stop for the sake of this tune, said Mind, and he went out along the valley with his fiddle. The music filled the air, the busy people heard it, and never was such a day seen in Dame Drury's land. The men paused in their delving, the women stopped their scrubbing, the little children dropped their work, and everyone stood still in their places, while Merry Mind and his fiddle passed on. When he came to the castle, the coopers cast down their tools in the court. The churning and cheesemaking ceased in the banquet hall, The looms and the spinning wheel stopped in the principal chambers, and Dame Dreary's distaff stood still in her hand. Merry Mind played through the halls and up the tower stairs. As he came near, the dame cast down her distaff and danced with all her might. All her maidens did the like, and as they danced she grew young again. The sourness passed from her looks and the grayness from her hair. They brought her the dress of white and cherry color she used to wear in her youth, and she was no longer Dame Dreary, but the lady little care with golden hair and laughing eyes, and cheeks like summer roses. Then a sound of merrymaking came up from the whole valley. The heavy mist rolled away from the hills. The sun shone out. The blue sky was seen. A clear spring gushed up in the castle court. A white falcon came from the east with a golden ring and put it on the lady's finger. After that, Strongarm broke the rope, tossed the paneer of dust from his shoulder, and lay down to sleep in the sun. That night, the fairies danced on the hilltops, and the night spinners with their silver wheels were seen by every hearth and no more in the deserted cottage. Everybody praised Merrymind in his fiddle, and when news of his wonderful playing came to the king's ears, he commanded the Iron Gate to be taken away. He made the captive soldier a free man, and promoted Merrymind to be his first fiddler, which, under that wise monarch, was the highest post in his kingdom. As soon as Marymine's family and neighbors heard of the high preferment his fiddle had gained for him, they thought music must be a good thing, and man, woman, and child took to fiddling. It is said that none of them ever learned to play a single tune except Marymine's mother, on whom her son bestowed great presents. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you found the show helpful and want to make sure it's around for others to enjoy, please go to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click the Patreon button. There are various rewards, and it ensures this show will be here for a long time to come. I wish you all a good night's sleep and a happy, peaceful life. May the best of your todays be the worst of your tomorrows. Good night.